This episode is brought to you by Audible. Audible has over 420,000 titles to choose from, all compatible with iPhone, Android, Kindle, or your MP3 player of choice. For listeners of the show, Audible is offering a free 30-day trial membership, complete with credit for a free audiobook of your choice. You can cancel at any time and keep the free book, or keep going with one of Audible's subscription offers. Go to audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast to claim your offer. That's audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast, no dashes, no spaces. This episode I'm recommending This Is How You Lose the Time War by Amal El-Matar and Max Gladstone. It's a strange and wonderful little novel written in epistolary style, in other words, a series of letters being exchanged, between two rival time travelers, and each of the two authors writes from one of the characters' perspectives. Reading about how difficult it is to be a time-traveling warrior spy who falls in love with the opposite-side spy who's supposed to be their mortal enemy, well, it made the stresses in my own life seem pretty mundane and handleable by comparison. If you like time travel stories, spy stories, and star-crossed lover stories, this is how you lose the time war will give you that mashup you've always dreamed of. To check it out, go to audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast. No dashes, no spaces. One last time, that's audibletrial.com slash edinfinitumpodcast. Now on with the show. Hello, and welcome to Ed Infinitum, the podcast that makes school the subject of study. I'm your host, David Nuremberg. This is Season 2, Episode 6, Teaching and Learning in the Shadow of COVID-19, Two Months In. Schools are now eight weeks into the distance learning modalities that COVID-19 has forced upon them. In our April 2nd episode, I interviewed three teachers from across the country at the outset of this new reality we all live in. They shared their experiences at the early stage of the transition, their hopes and fears and predictions for the future. And now that we're a little further into that future, I've invited them back, as I had arranged with them from the beginning, to see how, eight weeks later, things are going for them in their schools. I wasn't able to reach Helen, but Benedette, the math teacher from Boston, and Debbie, the physics teacher from the Chicago area, have been gracious enough to pause in their incredibly busy schedule to check back in with our show and let us know how things are going for them and for their students. Benedette and Debbie, thank you so much for coming back to the show. Um, if you wouldn't mind, please reintroducing yourselves. My name is Benedette. I teach math for at-risk men of color in the urban district of Boston Public Schools. Hi, I'm Debbie. I teach physics in a large suburban high school in the Chicago suburbs. Once more, welcome back. So now we're over a month into distance learning, and it's confirmed that we'll be doing this for the rest of the year, if not longer. Has it just become the new normal, or or what's going on? Yes, it's definitely become the new normal for me. Uh, I've adapted to this new way of working. Uh, It's pretty compact. I mean, I get up in the morning, I get dressed, I, uh, like, unlike a lot of other people, I don't stay in my pajamas. I put on my makeup, I comb my hair, I have my breakfast. And instead of getting on two trains and then walking about two blocks to work, I go right back up to my bedroom, sit at my desk, and I get to work. So it is a new normal for me. However, for my students, I don't think it's for them. I think there are a few students who really like online learning because they're shy or school hasn't always been a happy place for them or they're just very adaptable but for many students that I have they go to school to to socialize with other students that's part of what they do while they're there learning how to be adults and 
learning how to negotiate the world. So when it's online, they have no one to socialize with. So I don't think they're as excited as um, we hope they would be about this new way of learning. Thank you, Benedict. How about you, Debbie? I'm still working on even just remembering the routine of e-learning, let alone getting to having it feel normal. I'm still setting alarms on my phone to remind myself, Sunday night, make sure you have your Monday lesson um, ready to go and you email your students. You know, when Saturday feels like Sunday, feels like Monday, there's this possibility that you could just forget to have a lesson ready to go for them on Monday. And that would never happen in an in-person environment. You wouldn't walk out the door Friday, not ready for Monday, or at least I wouldn't. Um, So I'm not at routine, let alone at feeling like this is anywhere close to normal. My students seem to be getting into somewhat of a routine. It's changed for them. Uh, a lot of the kids that started out so strong, just they've lost their motivation uh, for some of them. And a lot of them that didn't start out strong, now they have figured out some kind of routine, a way to go about it. So they, they've kind of slid into feeling like it's moderately routine for them, or at least that's the appearance I'm getting. Hmm, got it. Speaking of appearances, at the beginning of this crisis, it appeared as if uh, we as teachers were devoting a lot of time to emotional support and that learning in some ways appeared to be a secondary priority. Was this in fact the case? How has this changed? How has it not changed in the last month? I do believe in my case, it has not changed in the last month. There's still quite a lot of time devoted to emotional support for not only the student, but for their families. A lot of it is just letting their families know that we are there for them, that we haven't forgotten, and that we're present. To the point where some families are complaining that we email and we call too much. But I do think that emailing and calling too much is better than silence. And especially when you're having a problem and no one seems to be concerned about you. So I think that they do like the fact that we are giving emotional support and we're letting them know we're there and we are a resource. I think our students also need emotional support, and most of the support they need is time management, generally. Time management, how to manage maybe a job they've gotten with their new online schedule, or how to just get out of bed. Since this new pandemic has happened, uh, I've heard a lot of parents say, oh, let me go check on Billy. He's still in bed, and it might be 10 or 11 o'clock or 12 o'clock. So I do think that this has not changed. We are still providing support. Got it. Thank you. Debbie, how about you? My district surveyed teachers and surveyed students and also did focus groups, and that helped them change their protocols. A lot of the ways we were going about e-learning at the beginning were overly stressful for students and overly stressful for teachers, which meant that good learning couldn't necessarily happen when there were so many other issues that students were dealing with emotionally. So we now have some new procedures in place, um, which helps a lot. The school where I'm teaching has over 3,000 students and about a month into e-learning, somewhere around there, the school was able to report that someone from the school, whether it was a counselor, a teacher, a social worker, was able to connect with someone from the home, whether that was the student or the parent. And so that helped us just know that our students were around and also kind of figure out which kids needed help and which team members at the school were going to be taking the lead on helping those particular students the most. Got it. 
So have your students been participating in online class activities? What activities seem to be the most successful at helping them learn? Benedette, again, if we could please start with you. In my case, participation has been lower in school. So I have some students participating. However, one of my classes is quite successful comparatively to my other. And that's probably because I'm working with a co-teacher uh, he and I are planning together. He teaches housing, the history of housing, and I teach housing in terms of mathematics of housing. The reason students like this course, though, is because it's financial literacy. And students and families and everyone have been begging for financial literacy for a long time. And it's a little scary that they haven't been listened to or that school uh, districts and schools uh, school boards have not taken on and allowed schools to teach a financial literacy curriculum. So this project is on housing. We brought in a housing specialist and they took home buying 100. I'm teaching students how to calculate their mortgage payments and that's how they're getting their math. The other teacher is teaching students how to become historians of their own neighborhood from the viewpoints of, I think one of them is a city planner, one of them is a sociologist, and I can't think of the third one. That teacher attends my classes, I attend that teacher's class, and we have quite a few check-ins with students. So that course is going very well. Students like this course because it's something they can use in their future. And that has nothing to do with the virus. Exactly. My listeners know I'm always talking about the need for schools to teach content to students in a way that lets them apply it to their actual lives. So I'm very glad to hear you bring in your own evidence for how that engages them. Uh, Debbie, what classes are working for you and your kids? We, from the start, tried to make our online lessons doable and kind of slice down to just what's the most essential main idea of the day. We still tried to do good science practices, like starting with a phenomenon to hook the students and solicit their ideas. We try to do good practices like asynchronous discussions. We aren't allowed to do synchronous, but asynchronous discussions. But in the end, we really tried to focus on a main idea at a time. And that was at the beginning. Right now, the students have an optional project they could do, or they could continue doing the lessons like we had been delivering previously, uh, which are lessons about circuits. The optional project lets kids pick a topic they want to learn about and also pick how they want to show what they learned. So I have one student that wants to learn about the science behind how guitars make music, and then he wants to write a kid's science book specifically for his little sister as the audience. I have another student that wants to learn about the science behind color mixing and then express what she learned through a painting and some writing. I have another student that says she just always wanted to do that one science experiment where you build an egg drop contraption and drop it and see what works and what doesn't and explain why that's the case. And so she's gonna work on that. So the fact that they pick their topics, whether it's like black holes or music, um, engages them. And then that they get to pick how they're expressing their learning should engage them too. So I have, right now I have one or two students that are headed for an incomplete for the semester. And I really hope that this project is a way back in for them. I've contacted them. One of them says he's interested and I'm just holding my breath, hoping that his interest turns into doing something. I know I'm really excited to see what the kids come up with that fits their passions. 
although the majority of kids so far have not chosen that route, they've chosen to do the lessons about circuits. Not that they're not super passionate about circuits, but I think um, some part of it is also feeling comfortable and feeling like, oh, this is interesting enough. I'm just going to keep moving forward. So a lot of the kids aren't choosing the project, but for those that are, I hope it's an engaging option. Right, because engagement is always key to learning. It always has been. But in an in-person class, kids can be disengaged and just be sitting there or strategically complying or spacing out. But in distance learning, especially when so few, if any, assignments can be required, you don't have that stick. You've got to work with the carrots. And engagement becomes absolutely vital for their participation at all, right? I think I've always been out there in terms of being more engaging. I had a real beehive in my classroom for 10 years, so that's an example of engaging. I've taught um, robotics in the middle of math classes and brought in MIT students to teach my students coding and robotics and math. So I've always been out there, but I think now I'm more than ever out there. I am willing to teach about Bitcoins. I'm willing to teach about entrepreneurship. I was willing to teach about a bicycling course online. I would take my students to the International Space Station if they let me. I would go to summer on Mars. Uh, nothing's off the table. Um, whatever I can do to make learning more interesting, I am willing to have an open mind about that and do that. That is terrific. I just want to tell you how much I admire that. I guess if this is something you've always been engaged with, what's been your biggest area of personal growth as an educator during this time? Where have, where have you gone from where you usually are? Biggest area of growth has been for me to be more open. For example, I'm working with this colleague. I've never done that before. Again, I was willing to teach an online bicycling course as part of my math course. I had never done that before. I'm teaching entrepreneurship with an organization this fall. I have never done that before. So I'm just just willing to crack open the toolkit and add more tools to that kit. Uh, I think that's been my biggest area of growth. Mine too, I think. Debbie, how about you? Where have you grown the most from this crisis? At the beginning of e-learning, I would comment that I had 20 years to practice being an in-classroom teacher and two weeks to get ready to be an online teacher. And um, now I think probably the biggest area of growth is that I've learned to leverage the skills from teaching to this new way of teaching. It's hard, I'm not an expert at it yet, but I'm trying to keep in mind what good teaching looks like and that the principles are still the same. It's just so much harder now. I'm especially gonna try and keep that in mind this summer. I'm prepping for a course that's new for me that I haven't taught before. I'm going to teach astronomy in the fall. It was going to be so much work to get ready before the possibility of e-learning and now not knowing what the fall looks like, it's going to be a lot harder, but I'm just trying to focus on what does work and how to make that happen. Absolutely. And I guess that brings us to our final question. What do you think September will look like? What do I think September will look like? Good question. It will look like, in my opinion, one of two things. One, it will be totally online the way it is now, and teachers and students will continue to get better. Especially, it will be that way if children begin continue to get sick due to this virus. One thing that people, no one will tolerate is children getting ill. Sure, absolutely. The other thing is that a school will be reimagined with lots of protocols, taking temperature when students come in the door, 
windows open so there's a lot of fresh air. Less students will be in school. Some will be taught online. Some of them will be taught face-to-face. -face. Debbie, is that what you're envisioning too? Partially face-to-face, -face, partially online. What's that going to do for you and your students? As a teacher, I feel like I'm working really hard right now and that I'm really unseen. And it's not a criticism of my boss or of my administration. It's just the situation we're in. I feel like I'm working and nobody notices um, some of the good stuff I'm doing. And so I'm just thinking if I were a student, that feeling would be so magnified that it's like you're working, but you're just isolated. That people aren't noticing the good work you're doing. Keep in mind that this all happened when we knew our students really well. And so my worry for September is if we start with e-learning or have e-learning the whole time, that that connection between students and teachers will be really hard to build and won't be the same as that relationship deserves. You know, I'll be looking at a screen and looking at names of kids rather than kids themselves. It'll feel like Right now it feels like I have pen pals, like I, I ask them, how are you doing? And then they write back to me and then I write back to them and it's so slow and it, it doesn't get that quick trust to build up. You know, they, they don't know how much you're in your, their corner. There's just so much that we would miss if we only had e-learning. I don't know that that's what September will look like, but it's a fear. I get why we need to do e-learning. I'm a science teacher. I get that that we are trying to save lives. My family, it could be one of those families. My husband is in a high-risk group. Like I, I want everyone to be safe, but there's a real grief over what's lost. So much is being lost. This is not the biggest thing in the world that's being lost, but it is still a loss. I hear you, and you're not the first teacher I've spoken with who uses that word, grief. Um, that sense of mourning is something really special that we fear has been or is going to be lost. Benedette, can you end us on a high note? I don't think this school will be like it was before for a long time. However, in my experiences, I think some of that's a good thing. And I think some of that's a good thing because schools needed to be more interesting. Schools needed to, in my opinion, cut the whole grade thing out. They need to make the day more interactive. Uh, unfortunately, technical problems cut off Benedette from here, but I think even what she said so far, combined with what Debbie said, really encapsulates the condition our condition is in right now. Frustration and sadness over what's been lost, a fear of the unknown to come, but also just maybe a wake-up call that school really had some unhelpful structures that we have an opportunity maybe even a necessity to change thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. Again, thank you both so much for sharing your time and your thoughts and your feelings. Maybe we'll check back in in September, wherever we are and however it is we'll be teaching. That's all the time we have for now. Class dismissed, and we'll see you next time. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. If you did, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever it is you found us like us on our Facebook page. And if you really enjoy it, please consider visiting our website, www.ed-infinitum.com, and making a donation to keep it running. Otherwise, in the grand tradition of underfunded public schools, we'll be reliant on only what we can make from bake sales. The website is the place to go if you want to suggest a topic or send me an email for any other reason. Our theme music is Happy Schoolmaster by Mind Music ID. 
Thanks again for listening. And remember, every day brings us opportunities to learn something new. Still with us? Great, then you get a treat. Today's education fun fact. The practice of remote teaching is actually over 170 years old. Correspondence courses were offered in Great Britain, where instructors would send lessons and receive students' completed assignments by mail. No use of Zoom required. Bye now.